Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight we visit the island of Dr. Highlander. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I am the sayer of the law. And are we not men? Co-host? I am Adam Thomas, and there can be only one. You didn't answer my question. Are we not men? We are not. No, that's true. We, we are, are boys. We, we are mere children, really. We're cute little fun boys. <laughs> that's for the future Patreon, the, the yep. fun boys content. Uh, <laughs> but Adam, uh, we're doing something interesting today um, on our show, Double Edge, Double Bill, where we do a good and a bad feature. We're talking about movies that might deserve a remake because uh, we're getting a pretty big one that arguably doesn't deserve one. Jacob's Ladder. Well, that's coming a bit later. Um, there's, there are several, but the big one, I would argue one of the more egregious examples is, uh, we're getting a photorealistic CG version of The Lion King that, uh... Nobody asked for. Well, it's weird, well... You, you would think that, um, in a sensible world, you would think that most people wouldn't want that, but then you look at the box office returns for most of the recent Disney remakes and you're like, no. It's gonna be a huge, huge movie. I mean, considering Aladdin has been, like, the one sleeper hit of the summer where it's like, oh, hey, it's now made a billion dollars. Which is fucking crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but an, another animated version of The Lion King. Yeah, but great. they look realistic now. When you were watching in 1994 as a kid, didn't you think, wouldn't it be greater if these looked, like, super realistic and there wasn't any fun animation to it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What if cute Pumbaa looked like a wild boar? Oh, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> was voiced by Seth Rogen now. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, just no. I have no interest in this one. I, I, did, I but To be honest, I haven't had interest really in any of them. I kind of think all the animated to live action remakes of di- that Disney's doing are kind of a waste of time. There have only been two that I've really quite enjoyed. There was Jungle Book, which I think, to be fair, worked, I think, in spite of the fact that, like, that original Jungle Book movie isn't great necessarily no that's true but the kid they got from Mo- Mowgli in the in the remake was awful i didn't think it was that bad but more importantly all the other stuff around him was pretty interesting especially i think how they fleshed out a lot of those other characters like uh, christopher even... walken christopher walken's king willie yeah, yeah, that's that's the best that was really interesting just king, that... is it king willie or king louis it's king louis, louis i believe yeah because king willie's a predator too oh <laughs> <laughs> um, no i'm a jamaican <laughs> spirit realm oh uh, no. But, uh, I thought that one worked, and the better one, I would even say, the one that's the super slept-on one, is the Peach Dragon remake they did. That was a really good one. That was a good one. And I didn't mind, uh, even though it's technically not a remake, but, like, Maleficent. I get it. Why, I mean, to me, that'd be more the route to go. Maybe do, like, live-action prequels or backstories or something like that. I'm I'm kind of okay with. Are you excited for that sequel coming in October? No. Oh, that's like that's got like Snow White and the Huntsman sequel written all over it. Oh, and then it came out several years later, and no, everyone's like, "Well, wait, we're doing a sequel to that." Oh, why? <laughs> yes, but you know, um, we keep talking about like movies that might be unnecessary. Our, our topic for the today, which is about just like, hey, what are some films that could benefit from a remake? Um, where we're doing our good one is Highlander from 1986. And our bad one is Island of Doctor Moreau from 1996, specifically. Um, the question might come up. If you're listening, like, well, why necessarily do a remake? And in fact, uh, we save our listener feedback for the end of the show. But um, our loyal fan, Oliver Sloan, uh, brought this up in the feedback request post we do on our Facebook and Twitter page at the EDB pod. So I'll read it here just to kind of like clear the air about this, uh, you know, why we're doing it necessarily. Where he says, why not avoid remakes, reboots and reimaginings altogether? How about develop new, timely, creative films? Unless there's something that 
could revitalize the film overall, for example, Dune, uh, which will be closer to Frank Herbert's novel. There's a wealth of old and new literature and unproduced scripts floating around that Hollywood could make into great films. Uh, Remaking a film because the technology has progressed slash improved isn't enough justification for doing it. Neither is an actor wanting a vanity project or a studio that wants to maximize their profits by telling the same story again and again. And I think we generally agree with that assessment that, like, if we had our druthers, this wouldn't be happening constantly, Adam. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But to combat that, I think that's why the two choices we picked tonight would qualify, because one of them is extremely dated, and what they could do with modern technology and a modern spin on it could be fantastic. And the other one is classic literature that hasn't been done right. That could definitely use an updating. Right. And then also, I think more importantly, it's like we agree with the general sentiment, Oliver, but this is happening. Yeah. We can't stop it. Yeah, there's no denying. No, there will, we can't just live in this match. We can't just like fight against the dying light mm-hmm. where it's like, no, let's, how about no, let's not let this happen. How about instead we'd be a bit more, you know, uh, productive and constructive and say, okay, if this is going to happen... What are the ones that actually kind of, like, deserve to be remade? Like, with those other um, Disney live-action ones I mentioned, like, Pete's Dragon is a great example, where that original Pete's Dragon movie is uh, terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an awful, awful, bad movie. And they were like, hmm, how about a boy and his dragon story, but we don't have obnoxious songs, and it doesn't run for two and a half hours or however fucking unterminably long oh, that movie God. is. And you make, like, a good kid's fantasy movie out of it that's pretty well done. So, yeah. That we're just bringing into the ether, like, hey, here are ones that if you're gonna do this, why not these yep. as examples? Yep. I agree. Let's not, you know, sign a petition or something like that or whatever the hell that new trend is. Sign a petition on change.org because that always Yeah, that's always going to do it. Right? Last Jedi's not canon. If Disney just got that petition, like, boys, 20,000 nerds said no, <laughs> nope, we shut it down. Shut it down, <laughs> boys. Get all the Blu-rays out uh, from both stores and the homes that they're in. Um, just wipe it off the face of the right, earth. Let's ignore the fact that it made a billion dollars anyways, or however that much money Jedi made. Let's ignore that fact and let's redo it. So we'll make 30,000 people happy. Exactly, Adam. But let's get into our two movies. So first we're going to go with a movie that's good, but could benefit potentially from a remake, Highlander. From another time comes a man of great power. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. You cannot die, MacLeod. I am Connor MacLeod of the Clan MacLeod. I am immortal. A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. Islander, there can be only one. We've got to be So, Highlander uh, came out in 1986, March 7th, 1986. Um, is directed by Russell uh, McCulvey? McCulvey? He's a, some Australian dude. Moloch, Moloch-y, 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 Moloch-y. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's an Australian director um, who got to start doing a lot of music videos. Um, and he directed this feature film uh, starring Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery as immortals in our world uh, who in this case have been around since the Scottish Highlands um, in some perpetuity and this was my pick I admittingly with Highlander I've seen it before and I like this movie um, I haven't seen the sequels because I've heard that's a bad road to go down <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard some of the things I'm like oh I'm good I don't know, there's one movie yeah. but uh, then again I think there could be Another, in this case, in terms of, I like a lot of the ideas of Highlander. I think there's a really smart, interesting story with Highlander. I don't think this movie was quite able to achieve that potential fully. Still a good movie, but not quite, at least on my end. Would you say the same, Adam? Uh, Yeah, pretty much 100%. I I grew up loving this movie, though. I mean, I I thought the Kurgan was one of the best movie villains of all time. I love the story. I love the sword fighting, the fantastical element of it. But you watch it now, and it's, it's it could do for some uh, retooling, right? Yes, because the basic premise of, like I mentioned, Christopher Lambert plays Connor McCloud of the Clan McCloud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, come on, right there, first strike. <laughs> uh, but Duncan, we've been kinsmen for twenty years. 
Like, no, no, you haven't. <laughs> he plays this guy who is one of various immortal beings who have been around for centuries upon centuries that basically battle with each other to eventually be the only one with the vague sort of supernatural powers they have, which is the weird thing about this movie. I think there's a lot of scenes where it's like flashbacks of Connor's past and we get a lot of history. Um, there's a lot of modern stuff uh, where he's walking around in what looks like either a really early 80s music video or a soap opera, uh, whatever it's in the modern world. And he's just kind of like staring off into the distance looking weird. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the Kurgan is this other immortal character played by Clancy Brown who comes in and is trying to face off against him. I just think that, weirdly, the problem with this movie is that there's just too much going on, and I feel like you could easily mm-hmm. make like a trilogy of Highlander movies out of this movie's story. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, to get back into the, the thing you said about their powers, what are their powers? Like, they can sense that each other's around, and they're immortal. But, like, then they do that whole thing where he's running with the elk or whatever. He's like, I can feel it. That goes nowhere. Nope. <laughs> like, okay. So, all right, that's good. But then you get, like, the... Now, have you seen the director's cut version of this? I'm not sure if I have. The one I saw is just a shy of two hours, so I don't know about this one. Uh, the Like, uh, what's her name? His, like, uh, secretary. They get into her backstory a little bit in the director's cut, where he found her and why she's still with him. Okay, I've seen that version then, yeah. So they, they did definitely throw some cool stuff in there. But yeah, I agree with you. Maybe not three movies, but easily two. Well, and I think that was sort of a problem from what I've heard with the sequels after this. is like, oh, this is a Dude. fun premise to start out with. And then this movie kind of completes the arc of being the Highlander, because he's the only one. Spoilers for the end of the movie, he becomes the one. Um, so it's like, oh, great, now what do we do with him? And apparently it's like... Uh, they're aliens. Right, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> yep, they're aliens. Or uh, Mario Van Peebles is a sorcerer in the third one. Let me restate that. <clears throat> Mario Van Peebles is a sorcerer in the third one. Which is like, I don't mind that necessarily because I like that we see a few glimpses. Another thing I wish they would expand upon in whatever remake is the whole idea that there are several other, like, immortals that he interacts mm-hmm. with. Like the one guy who's, like, Ethiopian who comes in the picture. Yeah, that was awesome. Right, they had, yeah. like, a fun conversation where it's like, hey, we've been around for a while. Yeah, the, the whole gathering thing, right? Yeah. Oh, what's the gathering? Um, is it like a comic convention? What do you guys do at the gathering? It's like, oh, we just fight each other? It's like, yeah, oh, we've got to kill each other. Gotta chop each other's heads off. There's no other reason a bunch of immortal people might want to gather around. Right. (laughs) I think that's another thing, just like, you can expand upon cool ideas and seeds that are put in here, because especially considering uh, the writer originally was uh, Gregory Winden, and he wrote this, evidently, um, as a UCLA spec script thing, as a project, that ended up getting bought up for $200,000, which, I mean, good on him, but also you can tell there's kind of like some... Things that could have been expanded upon, not by a first-time writer. Yes. And also, I, I, all right, I just got to get into it, because it's my huge problem with the movie. Yes. It's kind of miscast. What? Adam. A, a little bit. You got a Frenchman playing a Scottish guy, and a Scottish guy playing a Spaniard. Yes, with a Sean Connery plays I mean, Ramirez, who is a Spanish guy, but he says he's from Egypt originally. So. Yeah, he's Egyptian. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That makes it better. My name is Juan Villalobo Shrilamirez. You're like, no, it isn't. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I love that this is like right before he wins the Oscar for Untouchables. A shogun of Japan made me the short. <laughs> no. No. Even with like the obvious like issues of like their origin, there's also the problem of like, I think Christopher Lambert especially is like, he plays the stoic aspect of it pretty well. Like, whenever he's yeah. lurking in the dark. Yeah, he plays the creepy version of it. Like, when he's... He works, like, in New York. Right. In the modern time. He looks like a serial killer. As opposed to when you have flashbacks of him trying to have, like, some kind of romantic relationship with this uh, woman who they establish, like, you can't have a relationship in the world of, like, being uh, an immortal. You know, you'll keep going and they'll grow old and die. Don't stop him. Nope. <laughs> he is still totally about it. Uh, Yeah. And, like, there's yeah. that, and also there's the points where he tr- they try and make him do, like, uh, quippy one-liners, and that really falls flat. Like, every time that happens, you're just like, oh, thought I'd come in. Like, when, <laughs> mind if I cut in or whatever the fuck he says during the big sword yes. fight? Shit like that. It's yes. just like, he's not quite the best actor to complete that. So, 
this was something that I asked Adam to do for his movie, and I'm doing for mine. Oh, yeah, I got a fucking list for your ass. I'm, I'm going to pitch <laughs> some people who I would want to see in this remake of Highlander. We actually did some homework. I'd be totally fine with them doing a deep fake of Clancy Brown again as the Kurgan. <laughs> that, that's true. Because he's, he's actually the best part of the movie. Easily, yes. Especially the bit where he's in the church. Happy Halloween, ladies. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Great. Ah, it was your woman. He never told you, and perhaps she secretly yearned for my return. Like, you son of a bitch. That's Mr. Krabs. <laughs> yep, Mr. Krabs. <laughs> uh, but for me... I was thinking a lot about, like, hmm, who could play this main character of Connor? Who could be a modern version of this? And I kept looking, like, Scottish-born, obviously, actors, because you might want to keep it in Scotland, given it's still Highlander. Right, yeah, and I was seeing people like Richard Madden, who's like Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, and some other up-and-coming Scottish actors. I'm like, this is kind of boring. And then I came across Adam, the choice who I think would be perfect for this, really thinking about it. If you were to, oh. one, do something a bit modern, do a bit of a gender flip, but uh, also oh. this... Uh, woman is very Scottish, and I think she could also handle a lot of the charis- charisma and craft that you would want for a Connor or Colleen or whatever the hell you make her. Yeah, right. Are we going to do sure? Right, uh, Karen Gillan. Oh, I could see that. Yes, whom you might know from Doctor Who and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies as Nebula. Jumanji. Jumanji, of course. Yes, I think she could really handle doing that kind of like feisty, fun character because like she is very comedically talented, but also she's proven she can do some fun, badass action beats. I don't want to combat your choices, mm-hmm. but I'm almost worried that she's too attractive, if that makes sense. Okay. I, I don't know why, but I see someone, like, I don't know, like, I was thinking, what's her name, uh, Kelly, Mac- Kelly McDonald? Isn't that her name? Right, Kelly McDonald. That's an interesting choice, yeah. for sure, and she's also Scottish. I like yours. Well, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, to train her as Ramirez, I'm thinking, obviously, you could go either with an Egyptian actor or a Spanish actor. I was trying to research, and I couldn't, unfortunately, find many Egyptian actors. It's a bummer that I can't find many that at least I recognize yeah. or have actually seen major films. But if you go more Spaniard, it's the perfect time to have Antonio Banderas play this role. 100 per fucking cent. Yes. I Dude, that's perfect. That is, give him the fucking sweet-ass beard like he had in Haywire. <laughs> yep. Just, that would be perfect. Yes. I 100% am on board for that one. Yeah, especially like him training Karen Gillen about the ways of being a Highlander. Oh, yeah. It'd be pretty fucking dope. Yeah, and I think also just having a lot more emphasis on these other immortal characters. I think that's the thing is, mm-hmm. I would recommend for like a first movie really building more upon some of that stuff in the past. You can have glimpses of her in like modern times and stuff like that, but treat almost like a Thor movie where you're kind of, like, in our, you know, this sort of fantastical realm that you're in, where it's this Scottish place, but you also, at the same time, have, like, a believable human connection, you have a lot more, just, like, building up the stuff where it's not just, hey, I'm Sean Connery expositing all of this shit. Right, 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 right. You, you have, actually, like, them build up more of a kinship, and you also have, maybe Karen Gillan does have a romance with somebody, but she does actually have to make that crucial choice of, like, I can't be with them at this point, I think you can... Yeah, right. Right, because it's all there in the original text of the film, but at the same time, it feels so rushed. I think that's my biggest problem, it's just like so many of these different storylines feel rushed, and then especially, you can focus maybe the first half of the movie on that in Scotland, and then keep going from there and having more of these time adventures, which would be dope, that's just like Highlander throughout fucking history. Yeah. Just like, that would be, that'd be incredible. Yeah, I mean, because the ones we get in the movie are... A bit uneven, because you mentioned that one where it's, um, he saves a young girl. World War, like, Nazi Germany. In Nazi yeah. Germany, um, which was like, okay, that's an interesting, especially having this sort of weird thing where it's like, oh, this person who I've raised as, like, a surrogate daughter becomes weirdly, like, my sister's secretary <laughs> later Yeah, on. very bizarre. Very bizarre, but in a better movie where you, like, develop that over, like, a first movie, and then you have that continue onward, you could, I think, make that a bit more authentic. Um, and... You know, also maybe not doing the French Revolutionary one, which was really, really awkward and not. That was really bad. stupid. <laughs> not no, good. That was stupid. No. Did you uh, did you recast the Kurgan? The Kurgan was tough, and mainly because, as you mentioned, Clancy Brown is so fun in that part. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking you do get somebody still big, over the top, buff, masculine, especially if you have like a Karen Gillan facing off. You kind of mm-hmm. do sort of a toxic masculinity version of that character. So sure. that represents all of that. I'm thinking Nathan Jones who you might know out there as... That's uh, 
Yeah. As um, Rictus Erectus. Yes, Rictus Erectus from Mad Max Fury Road. He's also the guy Brad Pitt fights first in Troy. Yes. In the very beginning. Right. Yeah, that's probably where he was a wrestler for a little while. I can see, I just don't know that he's got the chops. That's the problem. I was thinking other ones where it's like you could have like a, you know, other big actors like a Momoa or a Batista. But at the same time, yeah. I, I felt that was a bit too obvious. Javier Bardem would have been my choice. Now? Yeah, why not? I don't know, because Look at him and Mother, he still looks great. I mean, yeah, but I still feel at the same time he's, like... Too little. I mean, there's that. There's also, I think he's... Harvey Arbordem kind of works where there's, like, a weird, seedy, seductive charm, versus the Kurgan Mm -hmm. is all just boisterous evil. That's that's a really good point. That would totally change the character. Because he's supposed to be very barbarian-like. Yes. Um, I guess I'm not mad at Nathan Jones, though. I mean, if he could pull off the acting part of it, then I he looks the part like fully. Yes. Uh, Batiste does not really prove himself as a great actor, and I think Momoa is too recognizable. So yeah, I like. You know what, man? I'm on board for your version. Yeah, uh, I got Adam's ticket. Uh, oh, and by the way, who I would choose to direct? When you look at the history, this is a movie that has been in the cards to remake for a while. Um, there was originally Justin Lin of several Fast and Furious movies was going to do it. Uh, Juan Carlos uh, Fristillo, uh, who did uh, 28 Weeks Later. Um, Cedric Nicholas Troyan, who did Huntsman Winter's War, as you previously oh. mentioned. Um, a lot, and who would have pe- thought that would have come back into play? Right, yes. Jesus. And people like Batista was at one time attached to be the Kurgan in one of these versions, and so it was Ryan Reynolds as Connor, which was sort of the last big attempt I remember being in production, which I'm not really sure about either. No, no. No, I like Ryan Reynolds and all, but come on. The, the one director who I was really interested in, I think either him or a compatriot of his that would work, uh, Chad Stahelski, who's been doing the John Wick movies as of late, um, oh. as a director. Obviously, because like, like we mentioned, the sword fights in the original movie are awkward, to say the least. Yeah, there, yeah they, obviously there was not a lot of uh, sword training. No, I mean, there's there's fun stuff. Like, I think the best sword fight in the original, to give it credit, is the one that's between Ramirez and the Kurgan in the castle. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dope, and that's where Russell McKayley's sort of, like, uh, music video direction style goes pretty well, particularly when everything collapses except the stairs of that castle. It's, yeah, I know. It's pretty dope. It's, it's pretty yeah. dope, though. I think if you... But if you leaned into some of that sillier action, I think that could really work with either him or uh, his compatriot, David Leach, who directed the first John Wick with him, but has mainly been doing stuff like Atomic Blonde and recently Deadpool 2. Yeah, it, you know, it's so funny. I would have I would have never thought of just getting straight action directors for it, but why not? Yeah. That's a very good call. Man, you should work in the pictures. I should work in the moving pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like all the kids do. Now... I guess the question also is, Adam, would there be any apprehension to doing a modern Highlander? What what would you think would be the hitches to, like, trying to adapt the story into a modern age? Well, I think the only problem, I mean, because the story can be remade, really, I believe, in any time. That, I mean, they're immortals. So having them be in modern days, not going to be really a problem. I think the only problem would be is, A, nostalgia, and B, the name alone. Because you got to figure there's been, I think, five or six fucking movies at this point. And then there was the television show that ran forever. And I think there was like a second version of the TV show that bombed. So name recognition and nostalgia really are the only hangups, I think. Because I think the story can be adapted anytime you want to do it. I mean, you could even set this movie in World War II if you wanted to. It doesn't matter. The, the actual, you know, idea lends itself to any time. So they got that going for them. Which is nice. That would probably work for them if they kind of make one particular time period the base and they have maybe some references. Mm-hmm. Kind of like this movie does, but a bit more. Like, because you could almost do it kind of like a Wonder Woman. Yeah, That's right, like, exactly. Right, yeah. Where you could base it like in World War II, but have these like sort of flashbacks like, oh, I'm eternal. I've been around for ages. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know, I think that could really work. I mean, you do you think we would lose anything also from the original movie? What charm would be lost if we were to remake it? That's here. The charm that would be lost are the things that we said need updating anyways, because the movie's the movie's charm lies in Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert together. You know, whether or not you, you feel their partnership or not, they're just iconic in those parts. Uh, and the soundtrack, the score, we should mention this queen. Yeah. We talked about off mic. Um, like I could see someone like, uh, 
Tom York doing this, doing the score for a new one and using those same songs, but maybe like retooling them because you got to keep the songs. Right. You got to like a lot of movies that I love from my childhood. I'm like, no, don't touch them. Don't fucking remake them like RoboCop. I was so upset with good reason, obviously, if we saw the final result. But with this one, I'm OK with this one gets remade just as long as it's done well. As long as they try something different, even if it doesn't work, if they try something different, I actually can appreciate a remake. Right, yes, I, I think that's true, and I do agree with, like, keeping the Queen songs, because obviously you got, like, Princes of the Universe, and uh, It's a Kind of Magic. Um, just, who Wants to Live Forever. Who Wants to Live Forever! <laughs> like, oh, bring the house down. <laughs> yeah, I think they add a lot to this movie that it might not necessarily deserve at points, including there's a weird point where they do half a cover of New York, New York that I completely forgot about. Yeah, that's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, that's so fucking weird. It comes, it, It's kind of uh, jarring a little bit. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it was also the first time I've been able to really enjoy something Queen-related since Bohemian Rhapsody kind of hurt me. Adam. I took a six-month break from like Queen songs. Like, I'm not even... I can't... I, I just, I, I would agree that you could get, like, a modern artist to, like, kind of do stuff. I suggested when we were talking off mic of Janelle Monet, who could just do something weird sci-fi trippy with it, which I would be down for. Yeah, that could be cool, too. That'd be cool. But our luck, we'd get fucking D Antwoord or something. Because <laughs> Hollywood's just <laughs> knocking at their door after Chaffee, that's true. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those fucking guys are making the big for, bucks now. For sure, for sure. Um, would you take anything in this reboot from, like, any of the sequels or other material items? Is there anything to salvage out of there, too? Maybe more of the magical element. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Like like we talked about, they give them these powers where you can hear the... And there's no explanation. There's no nothing. Not that I necessarily... I don't know that we need an explanation. Just there are people who are immortal. The other one, they got a little bit more into mysticism and things like that with it. And that was kind of cool. Is it necessary? No. But if you're going to take something, that would be the angle I'd like to go with. Not to where, for some reason, even after he... Spoiler. <laughs> kills the Kurgan. For some reason, there's enough immortals to make five more fucking movies. And by the way, what is the prize? You become mortal? That sucks. Maybe not. If you've been living for that long, you probably would want to grow the That's die. another principal problem I do have with the original movie that could be improved upon with the remake. Is like I don't think they quite sell like the relationship he has early on and how devastating it is for him to lose that person. And also how like that's only like, what, 50 years out of living for centuries? It's like there's so much more you could yeah. go into of like how about seeing civilizations fall or just like all this horrible atrocities that could happen in this entire time that you might not be able to do everything about. Because that also that does bring up just if you're going to have him like in the middle of like, oh, it's like Nazi Germany and like, oh, hey, he saves this one girl. It's like I think there's like a group or of hundreds of other people that you might want to help out. Yeah, especially if you can't die except for getting your head cut off. You could do some damage, bro. Like, well, go out to help some Jews over in Dachau over there. Like, come on. I, I, right, maybe take care of that. Right, because they don't also establish, like you mentioned, like what the limits of his powers are either at the same time. Like, if you especially sort mm-hmm. of qualify, like, okay, he can do, like, certain bits of swordplay and all this other stuff, but he can't take on, like, a giant army or he can't do some or other, you know, just, like, actually establishing some limits and all this other stuff. It's even in all that exposition. What happens if, he, if they lose a limb? That would be cool. Like, if there's an immortal with one arm out there, because if you lose a limb, you don't grow it back, then if that's the case, swordplay is a pretty shitty way to go about surviving. Right. And also, why don't you use guns after a certain point? There's there's, there's so many questions. Shotgun will take a head off, bro. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that happens. Yeah, I've seen plenty of movies where that happens. Uh, but <laughs> I will also give credit, like, there are some things that you might lose from this original movie in terms of, I do like some of the transition shots. Like, this has an all-timer transition shot for me. Where you cut from him looking at a fish tank to him and Ramirez on that boat. Oh, that's a great one. That's a really cool shot. I would hope that whatever director you might get has a lot of those stylistic flourishes as well. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Because all I could think of from that scene is Christopher Lambert underwater laughing with his awful he laugh. It's like he's in the middle of Wikiwachi Springs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's just beautiful chlorinated water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but we do agree. This is still, I guess we can transition to final thoughts here with this. You would agree sure. that this is a good movie, but not a, yes. but not one above remaking at all. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I would even go as far as to say this a great movie just because of nostalgia, but with a remake in the proper hands, with the proper cast, it could be another, like, sort of classic. I really think a remake 
could work, and I think it could stand the test of time, much like the original, if done right. Yes, I obviously agree with all the sentiments given I chose this, um, but I do want to still emphasize that I still have a lot of fun with this movie, I still like it. I think we're watching it this time, getting more critical about, like, what does this do wrong that Remake could improve, did open my eyes to even more stuff. Um, but at the same time, there's certain, like, fun charms to it. This is a canon film we haven't mentioned, and those are always fun. Oh, it is. You're it is. Right. Yeah, the canon logo shows. I didn't remember that until I rewatched it. Like, oh, fuck, it's a canon movie. Which we will be doing a canon episode at some point in the future. We 100% have to. That has to happen. Still, regardless, this is, it, there's a lot of cheesy charm to it. I mean, this movie opens with a weird wrestling match scene that I'm not sure. Uh, with the free birds. <laughs> right, I know what those are. <laughs> the le- the littered skitters, right? Um yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there's some stuff like that early fight scene in the the parking garage is a great example where the fight choreography is very awkward and stilted and the editing is kind of like we're working around these people who can't fight but I love the idea of him killing somebody and the lightning pops up and it just causes all of the cars to like break their engines and the lights pop and shit like that that's a really cool idea I would love to see somebody kind of take that and do a modern spin on it. And even just handle some of the stuff of, like, in a modern context, like, a Highlander sort of weird secret society would be all the buzz of the internet. Like, you know it would just be, like, all sorts of Reddit conspiracy theories about, like, a fucking Highlander. Yeah, it'd be like lizard people now. Right, exactly, yes. But uh, then again, I don't know, are we promoting bad conspiracy theories? I don't want to do that either. What if I rot at him? This is a bad idea. Yeah, it's pretty bad. (laughs) The moon landing was fake. (laughs) But uh, regardless, I think you could do a lot with the Highlander in a modern context. And like I said, having some of these interesting casting choices. I mean, I don't know who owns the rights now, but, you know, uh, just give me a special thanks credit. I'll I'll deal with that. And a hundred million dollars. I mean, I would want that too, obviously. Um, But make me an executive producer. I do nothing except, hey, how about this? Yeah. Yeah, do that. I'm in my swimming pool full of money. (laughs) Please do. But um, let's go to an idea that um, I don't know if a studio may want to touch necessarily, given the history of this film, uh, which is The Island of Dr. Moreau. In the year 2010, in a remote laboratory, an exiled scientist created something impossible. On the island of Dr. Moreau. I'd like to present my children. Arlen Brando. Val Kilmer. The island of Dr. Moreau. So, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau came out in 96, uh, August 23rd, 1996. Um, Mostly directed by John Frankenheimer. Yep. Except for, like, the first four days or something like that. Right, the first four days of shooting. I think even then, I think they scrapped a lot of the stuff. That was originally directed by Richard Stanley, who adapted this from the H.G. Wells story, which we should mention there was the 32 movie, Island of Lost Souls, and there right. was the 1977 movie starring uh, Michael York and Burt Nestor. But uh, I, I can, having just rewatched or watched for the first time some of those movies leading up to the show today, um, I can definitely agree that there's never been a great version of the story. And I'm guessing that's why you would want to see it remade, Adam. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I absolutely loved the book. Another thing, too, about this movie is the mystique behind it. It's such a fascinating like, story behind this movie alone that I was drawn to it. And i got to be honest, it's kind of a guilty pleasure movie for me. It's, it's so problematic, but I kind of like it. But it could definitely be remade into something very, very cool and special. Right, this specific version. What what makes you think this specific version is the one to remake as opposed to the other two? This one kind of follows the book a little more closely, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy to say, but I feel like out of the three versions we have, this is the more definitive version as far as closer to the book. So that's why I chose this one. Okay, I, I mean, I haven't read the book, but... <laughs> of course you haven't, loser. <laughs> Yeah, I was busy reading The Time Machine, other HGO stories, like a fucking dumbass. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, with with those other two movies, I I do agree that uh, this one seems to at least have a bit more of, like, a curious timeline than the other two, because both those early ones kind of make that mistake of, like, oh, hey, the animal people end up destroying Dr. Moreau as the climax of the movie. 
And right. Even though there's a lot more interesting things you could do with, like, oh, they're trying to run a society. Um, with it. But to be fair, the 70s one is, I would say, at least the more interesting version of the three, if nothing else, for the whole climax that involves all of these animal people, like, hey, let's free the actual animals that are here. And it's just a montage of, like, people in animal suits getting mauled by tigers and shit. <laughs> I, I kind of love that. That's pretty amazing that's kinda, that they did that. That is kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a whole sequence that's also just like this one animal guy comes across a tiger. Like, oh, tiger, I'm going to get you. And that stuntman is like being fucking hugged very aggressively. Oh, yeah, that thing's kicking its ass. Yep. Yeah, that tiger is kicking his ass. Yep, it's pretty brutal. I'm just like, oh, is this roar? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's <laughs> happening here? Uh, but at the same time, no, uh, this is the first time I'd seen this version. Um, even though it's um, infamy, as you mentioned, is uh, very swirling. I almost wish you would have maybe done this as a troubled production, Adam, a few episodes ago. It, w- it was up on my, uh, like in my top five list of which ones to pick. And I probably should have picked this one instead of what I did pick. But, you know. Listen to that episode a few episodes ago to find out. Um, But, yes, uh, because Richard Stanley, as you mentioned, was was originally supposed to direct this movie. He loved the book as a kid. And he had watched the other versions, felt like they didn't quite live up to that adaptation. And he was kind of coming up in the scene as like sort of a cult director with, I believe, Hardware was his big movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, horror Wally, as I call it. I haven't seen it yet, but that sounds. Oh, you got to see Hardware. I, okay, anyways, I think you'd like Hardware. This was sort of like his uh, attempt to break into the studio system, and there's a very interesting documentary. It's called Lost Souls: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau, which is a fascinating look at um, what a fucking shit show this production was. Oh yeah, and you, I mean, do you not watch that and just feel terrible for him? I feel really bad for him, though I will say at the same time that that movie did kind of at least, based on especially other people's perspectives, um, did bring to mind like, okay, he got screwed over by so many different people, but also he probably wasn't ready to make a big studio movie. Uh, I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, this was a huge budgeted film, too. Which it wasn't originally supposed to be. It was supposed to be like just a smaller $8 million, that was supposed to be something smaller and a lot more intimate, sort of, I guess, more in his wheelhouse, but slight. Like, it was obviously a bigger budget he ever worked with. And then they had the trouble of like, oh, we're going to get big stars, like Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, sort of the legacy of this movie... Um, is along with that troubled production that got Richard Stanley out and John Frankenheimer in to make th- whatever the fuck this was. It also is sort of like the portrait of late Marlon Brando. Yeah, I agree. But, I, I mean, I gotta be honest, I'm not mad at Marlon Brando in this movie. No, he's amazing. He's so bizarre, but he's great. It's this weird thing where he kind of steals the movie in a way that is detrimental to the entire movie. <laughs> because yes. he comes in about 30 minutes in the movie after it's like, okay, animal people kind of feels like the typical... Uh, sort of Island Dr. Moreau's story, except for some reason Val Kilmer is this version of a character in the other stories, but he's, like, killing rabbits for some reason. It's really yeah, he's weird. he's crazy. He's fucking nuts. So, like, hmm, that guy's pretty nuts. I don't know. Like, well, how's this Dr. Moreau guy? Oh, he comes in and he has white sunscreen all over his head, and he's wearing a white gown and a beekeeper hat. <laughs> and it's just huh? like, oh, I can't stand the sun. I can't be around it at all. Yeah, no, the sun, it's so hot. (laughs) What the fuck? This is the craziest shit I've ever seen. And then he has that little guy pour ice on his head. Like, what? Yes, Nelson De La Rosa, who uh, plays, like, I think was supposed to be a clone of him, I guess. Which is really weird, because it's like, I don't know what, what... What does that have to do with, like, the actual animal people? He's not an animal person. All out of nothing. Not at all, but he keeps coming... And there's the iconic scene in which they both play piano he's on a smaller piano on top of marlon brando's piano and that was obviously the inspiration for mini me uh per yep. mike myers officially and uh i can see why because that's a captivating image i've never seen before again in a film unless it's a parody like fucking mini me right it's kind of like off-putting in a weird way i don't know why but it's like like, what the fuck is going on here? It's off-putting, but then there's also a lot of, like... You can tell that's the scene where Marlon Brando lights up the most and has the most energy. Because uh-huh. he apparently just fell in love with this little weird person. Yeah, it was his idea. Right. Yeah, like, this this guy who was sort of just an, a background extra as originally hired, but he gave him more of a role than, like, the other sort of animal servant people. Which is a real bummer, because I like those characters a lot. There's so much you could do with, like, he has direct servants who sort of have a priority over the others. It's a fascinating dynamic that and I like Tamora Morrison as one of them, and the makeup uh-huh. from Stan Winston is phenomenal in all these 
creatures. Oh, the makeup in this movie. I mean, again, how are you going to give this movie a smaller budget? The character and creature design alone has got to cost a fortune. They all look different, they all look unique, and they all look fantastic. But at the same time, those cool characters are kind of sidelined when it's like, hey, here's Marlon Prando playing piano with this little guy. Which is Uh like, that's a fun movie. It's not this movie, though. It's not what this is supposed to be at all. It's so out of place, it's not even funny. It's so crazy. And then you got Val Kilmer just basically, from obviously what how he was during production, just doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yes, he was apparently quite an asshole to both Richard Stanley and John Frankenheimer throughout production, because this is him riding off the heels of, like, Batman Forever, big success. Yeah, right, exactly, to where, like, his last shot, Frankenheimer called Cotton, it's like, get that son of a bitch off my set. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that, <laughs> I already got in fights with both him and Richard Stanley on the Flicked set. Flicked a cigarette in, in a, like, a grip's face. Yep. Like, he's just a real asshole on this movie. Right, and he also was the one who put in the production problem of, like, hey, I'm going to be the lead role that David Thewlis ends mm-hmm. up playing. But then he's yeah. like, you know, I don't want that many scenes. Can you, like, cut 40% of the scenes I was going to play? And Richard oh, Stanley's God. like, um, I guess you could play, like, this other role as opposed to that one, but we're going to lose James Woods, which in retrospect was probably a good thing. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably okay. <laughs> But, uh, and then he was got this other guy, Rob Morrow, who didn't want to be on the production and left also pretty early on when Richard Stanley was still involved. Mm-hmm. And then they got David Thewlis when John Frankenheimer came on. And he is very vehemently like, I never want to talk about this movie ever. Even he's on the documentary. Which is crazy, because I like David Thewlis, and he's actually decent in it. Yeah. It's just, you could tell watching the movie, he does not know what the hell is going on. No, None and, of them do. And you can tell, obviously, with this movie that, like, it feels choppy as fuck. It's 96 minutes, oh, and yeah. things just go by and zoom so fast. Like, the whole animal rebellion is just very, mm-hmm. very... It's supposed to be the second half of the movie, and it's very quick. Even Marlon Brindo's death scene, which is comical, to say the least. Yes, to say the least. Right, and it's weird where the lead-up to that is, like, the animals come in, and they're like, oh, the, the one leader guy who got rid of his, like, shock collar is like, oh, yeah. we're gonna come and we're gonna kill him, and he's just like... Oh, hey, you came into my trailer, and look, I've just eaten, like, a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> oh, you want to hear yeah. me play piano? <laughs> it's such a weird scene, too, where I'm sure the uh-huh. animal, the actual animal people, actors, I'm sure are just like, uh... What the fuck? <laughs> this is Don Corleone, guys. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and he's in, like, a weird fucking moo-moo yeah, Yes, he's literally in a moo-moo. Oh, no, that's okay. Don't be upset. Don't be scared, child. Like, I'm, if I was one of those people, like, no, I'm sorry, I am scared. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do to us? That being said, let me get into my casting real quick. Yes, I want to hear this, I'm very curious, so who would you cast in all these major parts? So, for Dr. Moreau, I'll start right off, I got, I got two for most of them. Uh, I would go either Stellan Skarsgård or Brendan Gleeson. That's interesting. That fits more of what he was kind of originally envisioning with uh, Jurgen Prock now as Richard Stanley's choice. And that fits along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Uh, for Montgomery, I got either Timothy Oliphant or Tom Hiddleston. Okay. For Douglas, I got either Damian Lewis or Lee Pace. All right. For Aisa, Aisa whatever, the Feruza Balk one, I got Janelle Monet. Okay. For Sarah the Law. I got either Gary Oldman or Mads Milkinson. Right, which, to be fair, they did have great casting with Ron Perlman in this movie. Oh, yeah. That's perfect, perfect casting, yeah. I kind of tried to go with the voice for that one. Right, I of think course. Mads yes. voice, I mean. And then for the hyena, the main bad guy, I went either Doug Jones or Andy Serkis. The thing I was thinking of when you picked the choice I was watching is like, okay, so you would probably do, like, Planet of the Apes motion capture, right? I would, no, I see, I would like to keep it all practical because okay. i think the practical effects in this still hold up and that's why doug jones is like my first pick for hyena just because you put that guy in a suit and he can produce anything well yeah but i do feel at the same time unfortunately if we're working within the realm of what they would do if they were going to attempt another one they would probably be like this heavily motion capture then thing. you go any circus right which wouldn't also be i don't think that bad an idea either no 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 yeah uh do you have any ideas for who you would cast um, I would say the Fruza Ball character is interesting because all these movies have apparently put in these female love interest characters that aren't in the book, right? Right, correct. None of them were originally there. I think Fruza Ball's the right idea for especially someone who, in Richard Stanley's attempt at this, was going to like transform more into an animal person. Yeah, and then, well, she's feline looking. Right, and then they cut that mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, well. pretty hardcore. I wouldn't mind somebody like an Aubrey Plaza. I think it'd be an interesting, especially more dramatic turn for her. I think uh, yeah, I could see that. 
That makes sense. Especially if you've seen her do weird shit on talk shows where she... She's out of her mind. She was on Colbert recently, and she literally, like, put on cat ears and was just, like, pawing at something <laughs> that he <laughs> strung over her. It's like, oh, no, you, you basically are feline anyway. <laughs> this right. works. Who'd you go with Moreau? Um, I mean, I think those choices are interesting. You, you gotta pick someone who's kind of mysterious. I think you want to aim closer for, like, of the major people who have played him. Burt Lancaster's probably the best version. Yes, definitely. I was thinking it was a couple of years ago. He might be a little too old now, even though he's still great, but like Brian Cox. Oh, yeah, that'd be really great. He could be really good. Or even yes. like Ray Winstone. See, I would almost, I think he would almost work as more of the Val Kilmer part because he feels like yeah. he would kind of be like the sort of sidekick, more adventurer guy that just goes out and well, does the dirty work. That's why I picked Oliphant because Oliphant is, can be really intimidating. Yes. But he's also very handsome and charming. Right. Which is obviously what they were going for with the Val Kilmer part. And they kind of dropped that halfway through for him to do a Marlon Brando impression, which I can't believe we haven't talked about. Spins... But it's a perfect impression. I mean, no, it's it's amazing, but it's also just like, okay, once again, we're kind of getting distracted. I guess we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, we're doing this now. Okay. Oh, the bad CGI. Oh, the monkeys, when yes. CGI, when there is CGI in this movie, it's terrible. I mean, this is the same year as Jumanji. It's around that level of horrible cgi yeah that makes sense oh for director i didn't pick director yes see i i wanted to go with a more seasoned director for this just because it is based on a book and it is a beloved book <laughs> and i picked one we already talked about i was thinking either george miller or peter jackson yeah i, I would especially like to see peter jackson do that i think because one that dude hasn't directed a movie since a hobbit movie um and this could right. be something that's a bit more mid-range for him to do as opposed to something extravagant and this script could be ripe for black comedy, too. He's a really good dark comedy slash, you know, horror thriller director. I mean, I want him to come back to those days of doing his darker comedy. Me too. Obviously, yeah. Me too. Um, but what what else do you think, um, maybe that's from the book that you would like to see in a modern adaptation? More of the animal creature revolt. Because in every version, it's given, you know, maybe a quarter of the movie. And in this one especially, it's not really done well. You got them, you know, all of a sudden shooting guns and that's about it. I would like to see more maybe on their side, more of their inner thinking, and maybe do the Dr. Moreau and the Montgomery and all that as sort of the, not the side story, but maybe turn it to where they're the main villains. And then all the animal people are like the impoverished and the ones who have to rise up. Well, right, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Make Dr. Moreau more of, like, a fascinating, sort of, like, weird paternal father character. Right, like, you don't know, is he bad? Is he good? I mean, obviously he's bad what he's doing. I mean, he's fucking with nature in every possible way. But does he have the best intentions? Does he not? Do, I mean, make him mysterious and make him, like, where they love him, but they understand that, He's got to die. Right. That would work. Which is why, definitely, I was thinking, especially watching this, like, imagining sort of, like, the approach of some, like, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or War for the yes. Planet of the Apes. That kind of style where it's like you do treat these other, like, animal characters as your main protagonists and do just a phenomenal job. But also maybe putting in a bit of the satire that we're talking about that is admittingly missing from those new movies. There's not nearly as much satire as the original movies. Especially in the last one. I don't know, man. Like I said, I really love the book. This is a guilty pleasure movie for me. But I think that there really could be something cool here if they redid it. And gave it, you know, a real genuine shot and just didn't, like, throw money at it and then dump it out. Right, yeah, because it, it does definitely feel like this had such a stigma attached to it. The Island of Dr. Moreau also almost sort of became, like, a bad word in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It kind of became, like, a, a battlefield earth or other things like that, where they just kind of attached this unfortunate stigma to a great story that has so much palpable potential. Um, that I agree, no other version has really been done that well, and I think that's... You know, yeah, I I would definitely love to see a new version. I like a lot of your choices. I think you could definitely make it um, a lot more of it, a curious animal character story that has, like, these other humans born in the background. That's something new. That's a perspective we haven't gotten before. That's a cool take on an existing story, which is what you want to do with a remake anyway. Um, especially when you consider this one kind of tried to do that. And I do agree that it's so sad in that documentary, seeing Richard Stanley really have that passion for it. And those, like, if they also take some of those original, like, concept drawings that he did that you see in that documentary yeah they're badass i just wonder if there's any actual truth to that he was in it as an extra like he snuck on set i mean he had that you know the dog mask and then he sincerely talked about being on that set 
I just that's crazy to me if that's true. If you if you're gonna redo Dune after David Lynch's Dune debacle, then you could redo this. I, and I think we've pretty much gotten to our final thoughts here. So I think that is the end of our discussion on our two movies that we feel are worth remaking. Hollywood, give us a call. So now that we're done with that uh, double feature, um, we have uh, some feedback to read. Uh, we read a bit of feedback earlier, but as I mentioned, at DEDVPod, uh, every single week on the Facebook and Twitter page with that handle, we put out a feeler for like, hey, what are your favorite and least favorite things from a topic that we're doing? Every Monday we post that up, and uh, we got a lot of responses about people saying what they would like to see uh, potentially be remade, Adam. So uh, first up comes uh, James Rodriguez, who says, uh, Hancock is a complete missed opportunity, uh, and in this superhero-loving age uh, where Logan can thrive, the tale of an alcoholic superhero who constantly messes up deserves to be done better without any bullshit twists. Uh, it's hard to think of a good film uh, that would be for a remake, but The Breakfast Club could work with an update, uh, as the confines of teen uh, teens discussing LGBTQ issues, the impact of social media, sexism, racism, and a whole host of other topics uh, could become pretty prevalent in today's age. Dan Chambers uh, says, Escape from whichever. I would say do an Escape from Detroit. Snake Plissken needs another movie. Uh, Tori DePina says, The Spirit with Sam Raimi as director. Alright, kidding aside, what I'd like to see remade, The Breakfast Club with the present day setting could work. Uh, more themes to work with. Breakfast at Tiffany's could be cool too, since the original, while a classic is a shallow adaptation of the book that precedes it. Um, Victoria Bleacher says, Salem's Lot. I love the miniseries and the book. Um, I'd love to see a new take on the makeup with the industry progressing as it has. Uh, Ebony Sierra Bell says, There should be remakes of Slipstream and Waterworld, followed by a team-up film featuring all the elemental Mad Max-esque knockoffs. Uh, Madeline Mildren says, uh, The Dead Don't Die should be remade by John Landis or, or Jim Hoskins. Uh, Tobias Nielsen says, uh, Usually I don't go for remakes at all. It's very seldom that there's a point to them, and even more rare that they end up being better than the original. That being said, I would like to see a remake of The Quartermass in the Pit. Um, I love the film already, but it is clearly held down by budget restrictions, and I'd love to see it made with good backing. And then Brian Kane says, I'd really like to see Society remade. It would really resonate for today's audiences, also might hold up to flesh out some of the weaker characters. I'd say to keep uh, the CGI minimal for that scene, uh, but we all know that that won't happen. I assume we also share the belief that a movie should be remade only if it would be greatly improved or expanded upon as a soft reboot, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. said that earlier at the top, but what about some of these choices, Adam? You think those are some interesting ideas? Yeah, I'm going to right now ban Tori from ever writing in again. Um, he's not allowed. But, but no, I mean, that's, that's the thing though. This is another topic like we, like we discussed last week where it's so subjective, you know, you might think a movie's perfect and that I might think could use a retelling or a reboot. Um, so it's hard to say any of these choices are wrong. So, I mean, I'm all for whatever anybody wants to pick. I, I, I just think either way, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I, I do second the couple people who did say Breakfast Club, which is to say I really love that movie. I think that's nearly a perfect movie. Yeah, I don't think it ways. should be redone. That's one that I don't think should be redone. Well, no, I but I think they all have a good point that there's a lot more topics that you could have like these teens actually discuss. Quite frankly, it's a John Hughes movie, so it's all a bunch of white kids in detention anyway. Well, sure. And let's all face it, marijuana doesn't make you do gymnastics. No, no, it doesn't. Um, also, more importantly, I think um, there's one character I think you could especially improve, and that's Ali Sheedy. Yes. I think Ali Sheedy is such a nothing of a character. In I, movie. It's such absolutely. A She's just the weirdo. Yep, and it's just like, oh, what do you do? Oh, you have dandruff? But, oh, wait, you just take off that scarf and the heavy stuff you wear, and you're beautiful anyway. Oh, my God, Ali Sheedy's hot? What? Right. Weird. Now you date Emilio Estevez. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just third place, basically. I think that's one where it could almost work like a, we've mentioned on the show previously, uh, the Body Snatchers movies. That's one that could be very generational, where you could do sure. like a sort of update every, every generation, and there's so much more to talk about. I could almost see The Breakfast Club as uh, like a Netflix series. Okay. I can almost see that. Like every week it's another day in detention, every episode. You could really flesh out the characters. You know, every episode is about a certain character. I could see that more than I could a movie, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, so many movies have also taken the structure of Breakfast Club anyway. You could kind of right. do something that's an homage, I guess, uh, without getting sued by somebody. 
hopefully. And th- but also at the same time, um, there are other John Hughes movies that could stand to be updated. Um, oh, Sixteen Candles. Oh, good lord, Sixteen Candles. <laughs> Fucking pr- pretty in pink. Also, it's just oh pretty. yeah, pretty in pink. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Why doesn't Ducky get the girl? I, he shouldn't. I don't think the other guys should either. I don't think the girl needs to go with either of them. No, I agree. But they definitely went the route that you would not expect them to. Granted, neither of them should. But still. I fucking hate Ducky. I fucking hate Ducky. And I've hated that actor ever since then because of Sean Ducky. Hayes? Oh, what are you talking about? Everyone's favorite cousin of Lex Luthor, Lenny Luthor? Come on. Oh, that's right. He is Lex Luthor now. Oh, and he's also Lex Luthor now. Yeah, that's the sort of yeah. casting. But he was also the like nephew of him in, I think, Superman 4. Oh my god! Yep, you're right. Right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> That's why they did that later on Supergirl. <laughs> yeah, no, he's fucking... Ducky is Lex Luthor. Thanks, millennials. <laughs> Sh- sure, yes. Blame the same generation that you're in and I'm in yep. as well. Yep. It's all us. Um, I-, I will also say that, even joking aside about the spirit, the Sam Raimi one, um, I-, I wouldn't mind also, like, there was the version that was going to be done that was, I don't know if we mentioned on the episode where we talked about the spirit, but the Brad Bird animated one that was going to be, he tried to pitch in the 80s. That would be great. Like, almost like, uh, I mean, like, Incredibles mixed with Tintin, mixed with, or even, like, the Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy sort of idea. Oh, but yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I think a sort of noir cartoonish yeah, that film could work perfectly for that. Incredible for that. Yeah. That dark ass Frank Miller bullshit did not work for that story at all. Nope. No, it did not. And we talked about that. Got <laughs> with it. Tori. Oh, I'm so, oh, fucking. Well, we didn't really talk about it. Tori talked about it. <laughs> he led the discussion. We piggybacked off of it. That motherfucker. Hey, Tori. Tori, I love you, buddy, but don't ever write in again. You're dead to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, some of these other ones, we've both said many times Hancock is one that definitely could benefit from emphasizing more on the first half. Yes. Elements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The Waterworld thing is interesting, uh, given that it kind of is more relevant than ever. (laughs) I kind of like Waterworld. Waterworld's fun in a very guilty pleasure sort of film. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. But it's so fucking good in this is the shit they decided to do with this budget. This is the story that they put that amount of money behind. Honestly, if they had a better lead than Kevin Costner, that movie would be so much more fun. Uh, That's my only issue with that movie is Kevin Costner. You might be right there. Everything else, like fucking Dennis Hopper is just chewing well, it up. And, and Dennis um, Hopper's gold. I mean, my favorite Kim Coates with the map, just like, look at the map, look at it, look <laughs> at it. Wait, wait, is just, he Irish for some reason? I, I, I don't know. What, what exa- then again, I guess they did kind of make the perfect remake of it with the stunt show. That's a Universal. That's kind yeah. of the entire thing you need of the movie. Yeah, I'll give you that. Perhaps, yes. Um, but I don't know about seeing John Landis do anything uh, now, necessarily. Well, I'd rather be John and not Max. I mean, to be, yes, that's, that's fair. Uh, also, did you see, this is serviced around the internet now, the interview with Eddie Murphy in Playboy talking about John Landis? No. This is from 1990. Please, And he on. talked about, this. Is, read the whole thing, it's phenomenal, I would recommend it, but um, basically this is 1990 and Eddie Murphy was being was talking about just like, oh yeah, so how well, was it working on Coming to America, your last big hit with John Landis? Um, well, you know, I gave John sort of a, a bone after he'd kind of been in director jail for a while, because training places worked out and then that Twilight Zone accident happened. Yeah. Um, so I threw him a bit of a bone. And uh, he came on the set and was a total fucking asshole to me. He just kept screaming at me, even though I threw him a bone. And just kept saying shit about, like, you know what, on Thriller, I told Michael Jackson to shut the fuck up. So I'm going to be able to tell you that, Eddie. Right here, right now. I believe all of that, too. Yep, and I also believe that apparently there was a confrontation. <laughs> that uh, Which is, the weirder thing just is, like, that interview's from 1990. So Eddie Murphy would later go on to be in Beverly Hills Cop 3 that was directed by John Landis after that. Yeah, paycheck at that time. Beverly Hills Cop 3 is a paycheck movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so... <laughs> it's so bizarre. And well, Eddie Murphy episode, we may talk about that. Yeah. But uh, we also have some feedback that's in reference to our previous episode on overrated and underrated movies. Uh, where Mallory Somerville, at Rosemary's Bay on Twitter, says... Uh, 
to quote Adam, those crazy fun hijinks, those little kids getting into shenanigans, that's what lost the movie for you? Finally, as a Goonies apologist, I am validated. It's a fun A's adventure romp, guys. Thank you, Mallory. I love you. This week. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and on the flip side of that, uh, Will Torres says, even as a kid, the Goonies got on my nerves. Oh, fuck you, Will Torres. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. It's wrong, but you're entitled to it. Yes. You're right on the money, Will. That's what you said. Um, But Stephen D. at WaitingFTH on Twitter also said this. uh, Was thinking the other day that you guys should do a Catherine Bigelow episode, but mostly for Strange Days. I saw it in a cinema when it came out, caught it again on the big screen in the Berlin Film Festival a couple years back, and somehow it's become even more relevant 20 years on. And we've talked about doing a Catherine Bigelow episode because that's a fascinating career. Yeah, that, I mean, it's all over the map. Yeah. But, uh, hey, buddy, you're welcome. We were in sync. Yes, and and, I mean, we definitely also have discussed, like, it's a shame we haven't done too many, like, female either actresses or directors, just as a topic in general. It's something we do want to improve upon. Well, definitely, but unfortunately, the problem is we try to also stay relevant what's what's out or coming out to the theaters, and... Unfortunately, female-led films or directed films still aren't prevalent. Right, and even so, the weird, the unfortunate thing is when you do a person who has a long career, like, you want to have at least two options that are good, two options that are bad. Right. And most female directors don't really get that opportunity. No, most of them have, what, four or five credits to their name, at best. Right. Yes, and, and like, especially, like, the biggest crime is someone like uh, Patty Jenkins, after, like, Monster. You're like, oh, she did a bunch of movies between that and Wonder Woman, right? Nope bunch nope. of tv episodes yep. that's crazy yep one was gonna be throw the dark world that didn't mm-hmm. end up happening yeah i know and that's why uh natalie portman decided not to uh a care in that movie or b appear in any other marvel films because they fired her except they did apparently she is credited for being in endgame which i assume is like she maybe did a voiceover part and they used old footage from the, no, the, the yeah, there's world. one scene where there's, yeah, I think it's literally her voice. If you have any suggestions for topics, we've always encouraged that, especially of, like, actresses and directors you might want to see. We definitely encourage that. Send that our way. But we want to thank all of you for also sending that feedback our way, and thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarter for the art that we use for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarta. And uh, you can also find us on at dedvpod as I mentioned, that's where we post up those feelers and ask for your feedback and such and also post the episodes and fun stuff on either one of those. And uh, also you can send feedback to doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Or you could even just uh, follow me on my own social medias, at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter and Instagram. I post my musings and I also write uh, blogs and reviews and stuff at uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com and uh, also you can find Adam on his own island making animal people how do you do that Adam? It's, I'm so fascinated literally man I just chop off a piece one piece here, one piece there, throw it in a blender and hope it works, never does <laughs> this mush is an animal person yeah. I failed as a scientist <laughs> oh no, all my years at business college Gone. This PhD I got wasted. <laughs> yes, and for more wonderful content like that, please subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the other different places like the Spotify, Stitcher, amongst other things. Uh, you can just subscribe to us and make sure to share or review the show uh, just to give us more visibility. Well, now, Adam, uh, before we skedaddle, uh, it's time to pick our movies for next week. And uh, we talked about directors. Uh, we haven't done a director episode in a while uh, since Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, we're doing another one because another prominent director who has made several films, uh, Quentin Tarantino, is coming out with his new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, mm. which is always an event when he does a movie, because it's not often. No, it's really not. In fact, I, if I'm correct, I think the time difference between Django and Hateful Eight was probably the closest he ever had as far as releases. Um, I think technically there's Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction's only two years. Yeah, so, I, I choose to ignore that. Fair enough. It's two arguably <laughs> most popular films. That's a good point. Um, especially for someone who has the two good picks for mm-hmm. tonight, and I have the two bad picks, and if you're new, uh, basically uh, each of us has assigned these two movies we have, number between 1 and 10, and the other will decide number between 1 and 10 to get the closest to the good and the bad feature. 
so I'm very curious, Adam. Um, for your two picks, I'm going to choose the number eight. All right, before I reveal, I'm just going to let you know I did something kind of different for these picks, okay? Okay. At number nine, you got Jackie Brown. Oh, yes! Yes, sir. The supremely underrated Jackie the, Brown. One of the most underrated films ever. Yes. Especially with such a popular director. Jackie Brown is fucking phenomenal. Oh, and at number two, uh, Jackie Brown. I wasn't picking two this week, man. Shit, wow. Yep, sorry. I broke the format because everybody talks about all the other ones and no one talks about Jackie Brown. Yeah, if you want a brief summation of the other ones, like, oh man, Reservoir Dogs is great. Oh man, yep. Pulp Fiction's Pulp great. Pulp Fiction, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yep. Glorious Bastards, oh. Brad Pitt, crazy. Uh, 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 Django Unchained, oh man, Christoph Waltz. Uh, Kill Bill, uh, Uma Thurman's in that, the Bruce Lee outfit. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it all. No one talks about Jackie Brown. And I no. don't understand why. No, they do not. That's a, that's a really daring choice, Adam. Well, for me, um, I did pick two movies. Uh, cause, so for my two bad choices, Adam, number between one and ten. I'm going to go with number two. Okay. At number three, I had uh, the one that I think is the most universally reviled, though I... Don't remember hating it, and I would be curious to revisit it now. It's been a while. Death Proof. Oh, I kind of like Death Proof. I remember liking it. I haven't seen it in a long time, though. That's a recurring thing that I've seen pop up as a lot of people have uh, been kind of repraising Death Proof. That's, that's easily not his worst, but I could see why it'd be on the bottom of the barrel. And your other choice? My other choice... This is a weird one. Um, he... Direct the segment for this anthology film at number nine. I had four rooms. Oh, thank God! <laughs> oh, thank God! I don't have to rewatch four rooms. That, that's a really weird fucking movie, though. Because oh. if you don't know, it's the anthology film where, right off of doing Pulp Fiction for him and Robert Rodriguez doing uh, El Mariachi, did these anthology segments where uh, their two segments are interesting. And then the other two segments from two people you've never heard of are garbage. Like, the worst. It's so lousy. Madonna's in it. <laughs> yeah, hey, there you go. Oh, God, thank God I don't have to rewatch that, man. Gods were smiling upon me this day. <laughs> it's for picking the two Jackie Browns. <laughs> yep, exactly. You, no, not a lot of people know the Lord and Savior, big fan of Jackie Browns. Yep, I got some cred. Yes, for sure. But on that note, Adam, uh, it's time for us to leave here and uh, go start remaking our movies, The Island of Dr. Highlander, right? We can combine them. It'll work. I kind of like that idea, actually. I mean, let's get right and let's do this. Good night, everybody. Long live the giant condor.